Hello, and my name is Pete Rushmer, and I'm your host today of a Half Dozen Things podcast. A Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success or you're already smashing it but want to continue to level up, we are here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. Just real, raw and frank conversations. My curiosity and impatience in seeking success has encouraged me to create a Half Dozen Things podcast. I designed it to bring you simplicity and discovery back to the forefront of your lives. We are all such busy people, it's easy to overlook the simple things we could be doing to achieve wealth, success and happiness. Hi, I'm so excited to be joined today by Dove Jenkins. Dove's an experienced business coach with a specialist offering across many key industries, providing solutions to organisations based on their individual requirements. Insightful, creative and passionate, Dove partners with organisations, establishes target objectives and creates a roadmap for end-to-end delivery and evaluation. Dove has led operational teams and learning and development functions, so has first-hand experience of the pressures and rewards of leading in business. He has the ability to work at operational, tactical and strategic levels, influencing stakeholders up to broad level. Dove has a collaborative, long-term approach. He values trust, integrity and authentic, creative, long-term partnerships. His aim is to support people to develop their capabilities, regardless of their background or experiences, so they can realise their potential. He says through the right balance of support and challenge, people can increase their confidence and capabilities, making them and the organisation they work for more productive and successful. Dove has spent over 20 years leading, designing and facilitating management, leadership and organisational development initiatives for highly commercial leading brands with diverse cultures such as Thomas Cook, Barclay Card and the BGL Group including its most well-known brand, CompareTheMarket.com. Dove created you in 2016 to satisfy a professional goal. During this time, he has worked with brands including HSBC, Rico, Beeline, Dyson, BGL Group, Northampton Borough Council, AB Sustain, amongst many others. Dove's a qualified executive coach with the Academy of Executive Coaching and a member of their alumni. Dove is also a co-host with me on the Stronger for Business podcast. I'm really excited to have him join me today. Please enjoy the show. Good afternoon, Dove. How are you? Hey, Pete. Pete, the, the Rush Rushma, as you, I think, now call <laughs> LinkedIn. That's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah, I am. I am the Rush, apparently. So, uh, and uh, just uh, if you pronounce your name correctly, please, for listeners, because I've always struggled with it, and therefore I just call you Dove. Um, yeah. because that's a, a lot easier for my small brain. Um, but yeah, di- give yourself a quick introduction for the listeners, Dove. Cheers, Pete. Um, I, I think, you know, whether I'm doing something like this or it's a face-to-face session or something virtual, I always still often with my name because I know it's difficult for some people, um, you know, and I struggle with other people's um, names as well. So I always ask, you know, see, it, it helps as a bit of an icebreaker, uh, but also as well as embarrassment on other people's parts. Obviously, having a real Welsh name in, in England or anywhere else in the world can be a bit of a bit of a challenge. So uh, it's not phonetic in English. So um, the name is Dove Reg. So the F is uh, V essentially. So, but everybody calls me Dove because it's it's a lot easier for them with that. And nobody should ever be embarrassed to ask ever. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And and Dove is is because it doesn't look like Dove, but Dove no, like the bird. Not in so. English, it doesn't no. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Um, I, I'm absolutely delighted to have you join me today, mate. It's, uh, you know, obviously we're used to recording podcasts together as well. Some of our listeners may not listen to both, but uh, Dove and I co-host another podcast called uh, Stronger for Business, uh, which is part of a consortium where uh, there, there's three different types of trainers, essentially, or learning and development professionals is probably the right terminology. But yeah, uh, we, we co-host that and we get some great guests. We had a fantastic guest the other week, didn't we? So if people are interested, definitely worth tuning in. Slightly, It's catered slightly for uh, you know different listeners, but uh, nonetheless, hopefully people will start to find some value in that. But yeah, absolutely delighted to have you along. And, and have you been in business, what, four years now? Just over uh, four years? Four years and three weeks. Precisely. Very good. Brilliant. <laughs> so, yeah, four years is an anniversary. It's quite a big year in business. So. And you've got, um, you know, you've got a lot of um, 
experience as well in, in sort of some big companies and in some very senior positions as well. So I'm really excited to get some insight from you today on what your half dozen things are and how, how we can support business owners um, and, and professionals as well develop themselves. Because the, the overall purpose of this is to really challenge people's mindsets and open them up to development um, and, and to get them thinking in a different way. So I think that's uh, going to be brilliant. So uh, let's get cracking. Uh, the first thing of your half dozen things is be clear on why you are doing what you are doing. And you've got why in capital letters. So yes. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to hear what you've got to say here. Um, I think uh, well, this, is, this is the key thing, actually. And I know that in one of your previous podcasts, uh, Lee from 2Js mentioned this briefly, um, actually. And th- there's a guy uh, that uh, Lee mentioned as well. He's, he's called Simon Sinek. And I know in, in your uh, intro, we don't talk about, again, any kind of BS or gurus or anything like that. So I'm going to use that term quite lightly. Um, and Simon Sinek, he's a British guy that kind of grew up and, and works in, in the States now. And he's really famous for about three or four books um, that he's written. But he's kind of all over social media and YouTube and stuff like that. And he wrote a book, it's called Start start with a why and it's quite fundamental actually and it's been a bestseller because of its simplicity but also the value of asking the why question so whether you're a, a leader in a business or you own your own business regardless of the size of the, the sector that you're in if you don't know why you're doing something it's very hard to explain to other people what it is that that you're all about uh, but also i think for yourself you need to know why you're doing something so you can understand what your motivation is for. So I know, Pete, that, that you're really clear um, on, on your why, um, and I am as well. And you know, fundamentally for setting up my own business, it's quite the same as when I was a essentially a head of L&D in a large corporate it's because essentially I want to help other people. I had lots of opportunities. People have invested a lot of time and effort in me in the past. The fundamental that is why I set up my own business. That is my why. So then that helps me understand uh, what I need to do to actually do that when I people and of the fundamental value um, of, of that as well. Um, and then understanding what that will give you uh, as well in the long term. So set up my own business as an example will give me several different things that I don't have in, in corporate life. Uh, but also, you know, it's thinking about it from a business perspective, but also from an individual perspective. If you can't explain the why, uh, it's almost like that that granny test, if you like. If you can't explain it in simple terms to, to your granny or to somebody else, then how can you explain it to other people? You know, including your employees and your partners and your customers, uh, all those kind of people. You know, the, the why is, is quite fundamental. Yeah, hundred percent. And often it's uh, it's not make loads of money either. No, <laughs> Which, they're, they're not normally the businesses that last too long either or, or stand the test of time. It's, uh, it's definitely about finding a why that delivers value um, and, and that really brings meaning, a, a meaningful difference, I suppose. Um, yeah. I, lo- I love Simon Sinek and I love a lot of his work. I recently read Finite Games. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've had, uh, had the opportunity to read that one yet. It's a fairly recent one. But I found that I found that really, really good. In a way, it's kind of repackaged start with why. Um, yes, yeah. But it, it talks about essentially business isn't like uh, a win-lose game it is a finite game where there is no clearly defined rules or a clearly defined endpoint either obviously unless you want to sell for a particular amount of money i suppose which there is a clearly defined endpoint but um your, your why is so important i in the blurb um that you, you sent across about this section i found it really interesting that fact around 70 businesses an hour are created in the Incredible, uk yeah. which is like that is mind-blowing um 70 businesses in the uk created an every hour and 29 percent of those go under in year one and 60% go under by year three. And you say that's due to a lack of managerial competence and understanding of being an effective leader. And one of the things you you, you make quite clear is, which I find really interesting, is that the business is about, it's about technical competence and the ability to manage. But actually the third skill is leadership. Are you able to just sort of um, explore that a little bit more please, stuff? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And going back to the heading of you know understanding your why, your, your why is your foundation for your business, but it's also your almost your end point because that's what what you're aiming towards. And you know we all find ourselves in in leadership roles or business owner roles because we have the technical competence, and that's probably been created over many many years. You know, you, you become very good technically um, at what you do, especially if you're deciding to to create your own business. So all the technical competence, your skills, your years of of knowledge and stuff, that that's great. But when you start going into leadership roles, and especially if you want to own and then develop and then employ people, it's a lot more than your technical competence. So typically, we talk about knowledge, 
uh, gaining knowledge, developing your skills, uh, and importantly, thinking about your behaviors as well. Because that's really important because you become very exposed as a leader. People are looking at you and up to you, hopefully, um, a lot of the time. But also what we need in leadership roles is, is an element of judgment because we have to make very important decisions often and perception as well. So we have to kind of read the landscape. We constantly should be scanning what's going on out there in, in the marketplace and in, in the business environment almost like getting down and doing a pestle analysis or a SWOT analysis fairly regularly. So we're constantly looking out. So our historical competence, if you like that, that's good because that sets us up, but it won't see us um, for, for the future. So there's, there's a lot more to think about. Um, and leadership as well. We'll talk about more about this later around the skills and the constant learning. But what people want from leaders, and this is part of your why, really, if you want to lead, is, is developing your, your emotional intelligence, if you like, yeah, not just your IQ. And emotional intelligence has been around since, I think, about the 1950s is, it was first identified. So it's been around for a long time now. But people typically, you know, they want their leaders to be accountable. Authenticity is really important these days. And more modern behaviours, if you like, and use that in inverted commas, uh, around you know, being confident because that's important, but also some humility as well. You know, you don't know everything as, as, as the boss or, or the leader, if you like. So how you conduct yourself with your staff, your suppliers, your customers, and everybody else is really important these days. Yeah, absolutely. No, fantastic. And that, that leads us really nicely onto the second point. Now, one of the very, very first development books I've, I read was a book called, called Good to Great which is a fantastic yeah. book and it talks about having the right people and the uh, right people on the bus and in the right seat as well and your second area of it is very focused around that so surrounding yourself with the best people available obviously at a price that you can afford uh, which i think is a, a you know a fantastic objective po- possibly difficult to achieve but uh, yeah a great objective to have and, and are you able to just explain that a little bit more please stuff yeah of course yeah so, you know, if you are a lead in business and you've gone up through the, the food chain, if you, if you want to use that term quite bluntly, in a, in a business, in a corporate or an organization, or you, you set up your, your own business, you probably deserve to get where you've done, where you are, because you probably worked hard at some point for a finite um, period, period of time. But, you know, to go back to what you're saying about what you got you here won't get you, won't get you there. It is around, all of a sudden, you need to be able to get support and, and know who to go to. And that's not just about employing people on a full-time basis because we know what it's like you know especially in the first years of business you know financially it can be a bit of a struggle because you're investing in lots of things and and you're learning you know uh, from you know from our perspective when we've worked in corporate environments i'd have somebody in a marketing team i could speak to i'd well i'd work in a hr function but i'd have a hr business partner i'd have a finance um, partner i have an internal communications partner there'd be loads of people i could just go to and say i need some help with this you know that was part of that wider corporate team if you like but when you're self-employed or you've, you've got a smaller business you don't necessarily have those people you know a five minute walk from your desk um, as an example so it's, you know, it's, it is things like going to networking events, as an example, getting to know people who can help you. And sometimes there isn't a fee or a charge for that because that's reciprocated um, often as well. So it's just asking for help. I think a lot of people are don't have the confidence or they, they're just not comfortable in asking for help. You know, I'll kind of I'll muddle through it. I'll, I'll get on with it. So when I say surround yourself uh, with, with the best people, not necessarily employing those people, but going out and, and looking for help and, and asking for help. Because especially stepping up internally with, within a larger organization or you set up your own business, you can't do everything by yourself. You know, we, we are very good at what we do. Um, and I knew when, when I set up my business, accountancy is not my strong point. Thank God I had a finance business partner uh, in, in my employed role um, previously. So the first thing I did was to find out and found an accountant because that's not my in my skill set. And obviously, we all have to pay, or most of us have to pay for our accountants. But I could spend hours and hours agonizing over my, my tax year, end of tax year reports and things like that. Or I could just get rid of that pain, give that to somebody else. And focus on the stuff that I'm good at, and which is which is building my business. I'll, gi- I'll give you an example. I had some windows put in there last year. The guy that's put in my windows. He's self-employed, and he's a team of one. And he said, "I said, how are you?" Because he's putting the windows in over a period of time. He said, oh, "I'm really, I'm maxed out." I said, "Well, that's a good place to be, you know, to be self-employed and maxed out." 
you say, I'm, oh, yeah, I've got the time to do everything. I've got to do the invoicing. I could do the quotes. Obviously, I've got to go out and get the windows. I have to fit the windows. I need to do the marketing. I was like, okay, so here's an opportunity to give some free coaching to somebody. It's like, okay, so what, what part of all of that actually drives an income for you? You said selling and fitting the windows. It's like, okay, so why don't you give the rest to other people? He said, oh, I don't think I can afford that. Um, and I don't want to employ people. I said, well, you could get a virtual assistant to help you just do the administration and set up all your meetings. That just takes that pain away. It's like, oh, yeah, I haven't thought about it like that. It's just all about employing people yeah, and having people on your books. It's just going out and asking for help and being flexible, you know, just getting people in on contracts or um, employing people on a, on a part-time basis. But it is around getting the best people that you can have. Yeah, sure. I think, um, you know, one, one of the things that I always look to try and achieve is I always try and be the thickest person in the room. <laughs> <laughs> which, which most people oh, listening, <laughs> most people listening will probably laugh and go, "That's probably not hard for you, Pete." <laughs> but I, genuinely, I, you know, I, I like to I like to be stretched by people, and I think if you always try and surround yourself with people that whether whether you're the best at what you do and whether they're the best at what they do, but if you can get the best possible people to do what they do best, I think I think that can be quite powerful, can't it? Like you say, very very powerful. Yeah. It's very, very, very important to have people around. And one of the things you, you, you mentioned as, as part of this point is around that great people don't necessarily work for just for salary. And uh, are you able to just sort of cover a little bit about motivation, for example, Dove, and your experience of uh, people being motivated by things other than money? Yeah, motivation is one of my favorite subjects, um, actually. You know, because we all have bills to pay fundamentally. Um, and if I was, if this was a session, I'd be asking people, okay, what motivates you? I'd guarantee about half the room would say money, because ultimately that's why most of us go to work. If if we didn't have to earn money and pay bills and, and be concerned about the bills, then a lot of us, not all of us, um, some of us would choose just to buy a yacht and sell around the Caribbean. However, money isn't a true motivator. So, you know, so there's lots of theories going back into, into the 1950s and, and further back than, than that around what motivation is. And lots of people are motivated. So if you take it out of context a little bit, you know, how many of us decide to learn to do something new, like play a guitar or do some gardening or just take up a new hobby? We invest a lot of time learning different things because we're motivated by that so it's not it's not just not just about money setting up a business i'm sure there's lots of people listening to this who have had previous jobs where they've earned more money um, as an example in my first year i took a massive drop in in income and i knew that was probably going to happen but my motivation to set up my business and do something i wanted to do a long time was much more motivating um, than than earning the salary that, that i was earning earning before but essentially, you know, you know, people, like you said earlier, a lot of people want to be stretched. They want to be developed. They want to have autonomy um, in, in their job roles as well. So, you know, for ourselves, it's finding what really and truly motivates us. But for people who employ people, it's actually finding out, you know, what, what, what is it that, that motivates them? And actually, often, having skills, learning and developing um, and having autonomy to make decisions are some of the, the, the most uh, motivating things for people actually it's not just about the, the hard cash yeah that's that, that's absolutely right and i i always thought that i was motivated by money uh, you know it was such a big thing for me that i wanted to earn more and more and more and it's only since i've been doing this that i've realized that actually i love the ability to be able to wake up and go i'm going to do this today or I'm going to do that tomorrow. And having that freedom of choice is actually so much more powerful for me. And even even in growing the business, you know, it's, it's probably held me back a little bit to an extent because there's there's a level of reluctance to want to bring other people into the business because actually that, that kind of ties me down a little bit more and that means that I'm not as flexible as I'd maybe like to be. So I need to get out of my own way a little bit with that and, and just sort of look maybe look at my motivations over time with that. But it is, it's been fascinating. And even when I look at my long-term goals and my long-term objectives, they're, they're all about the freedom that I'm going to have in the future rather than necessarily pots and pots of gold bars um, or, or gold coins, for example. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, it's, it's massively important. And I think certainly for staff as well, particularly in the blue-collar sector, for example, where we're reliant on people being productive and doing different, doing their role and doing their job as part of a greater process. Autonomy can feel quite low um, in that. So it's very important when businesses look at process to actually really involve the team and be able to get feedback as well, because that drives motivation as well, doesn't it? Yeah, um, absolutely. So, um, and the busier we are as, as leaders as well, the further away we get from the job that we started to do. You know, so, yeah. you know, so if you're in a, 
production you know, making widgets because that's an easy example whatever yeah. a widget really is you, you stop doing that you start employing people and all of a sudden there's you and then a manager and then a supervisor and then somebody on the production line making widgets they know what's going on day to day and, and you you don't so it's actually like i said uh, consulting with them and just asking them actually what would make your life easier or make yeah. this more productive or seamless or whatever it might be that that's, that's, it's an easy way to engage people and increase your productivity and, and your profit in your business too yeah absolutely absolutely so uh, your third area is around being customer centric mm-hmm. so what do you mean by that please stuff Okay, so customer centricity um, is is a word that I started to learn when I was uh, the job title was senior manager for learning and development in in a contact center business. So this uh, contact centers are very very busy places, you know, quite high high pressure environments. Great fun to work in, but but high pressure as well. And, and one of the things that sets you or any business from another business is how well uh, you interact with your customers. You know, you, you've got your products and your services, but most of us in most industries. There's somebody else doing what we do. Yeah. So the thing that really sets you apart, except for price, um, is is the quality of, of your service, um, essentially. So the customer centricity. What I mean about that is actually putting the customer at the heart of your business. So I've worked in businesses where actually the customer was never mentioned. Thinking, well, this is really bizarre because we're all serving somebody, and we should be serving the customers. But the customer wasn't mentioned because they were a reference number or, or somebody in a book. Um, as an example, because, you know, that was uh, sometimes, the, especially in sales terms, but, you know, the customers at the end of the process where the customer should be all over that process uh, as well. So, you know, essentially your business or your organization is, is nothing without your customers. And I know in public sector, as an example, and this isn't meant to be critical, that, that can be quite hard because, you know, you're not reliant on an income or a profit uh, from them as well. But customer centricity can still happen, you know, whether you're a head teacher in a school or a receptionist in a doctor's surgery or where, wherever it might be. So it, it's, it's really, that's, that's quite fundamental. I uh, just want to, because I know that you like to read, Pete, and I know, I know you like stats and things like that. So there's, uh, there's a survey that came out in, in January. Um, the survey suggests, uh, and this is on UK, so I, I like to keep it relevant to the country um, that, that I'm working in. So in the UK, uh, the survey that was published in January said that 259 because these points are also important, of customers prefer excellent service, even if it means paying more. So sometimes we think that we have to kind of go in, go cheap. And, and I think, you know, so the, the pound shops um, and the cheap uh, low-cost airlines and things, that kind of drives the behavior in, in service providers that we have to do things cheaply. But actually what a lot of us want, not all of us, but a lot of us, and in this survey, that's a quarter of all customers are willing to have excellent service and pay a little bit more for that. And interestingly, more than half of customers want a uh, balance of price and service, um, and 14% prefer Norfolk's uh, services. So, you know, it's, it's worth thinking about your customers, who your customer demographics are, and actually how much are they willing to pay. And that's not about screwing your know, customers, actually, because none of us should be doing that. We still need to make a profit because we are running businesses at the end of the day, but it's not going too cheap. It's actually, I think, as business owners, particularly, actually putting your price point out there in the market is one of the trickiest things that any of us can do, because sometimes we don't know, because our competitors don't always uh, p- publish prices as well. So to be customer centric and put those in the decision making and consulting with your customers is will be more and more important in the future than it ever has been in the past, just because the world that we work in is hyper competitive. And, and that's, that's not going to change, really. No, I think I think it couldn't be even more any any more topical either. Actually, Dove and um, I deal particularly a lot with transport companies, and their point of differentiation can often be a real challenge for them. Part of the businesses that they run is very price focused and price oriented. You know, pound per mile, for example, and uh, the cost pace is huge. And it's very interesting actually that as as a business, as purchasers, a lot of those companies they prefer to buy quality. Mm-hmm. and service so they buy in that sense in in the, certainly one, one of the companies i used to work for was certainly one of the more premium brands so you had a quality service but you you were paying additionally for it however long-term value from a from a transport point of view with, with a truck which is built to last and you, you know you've got to service and maintain that vehicle over a period of time so quality is very important it's very interesting those transport companies become really really hung up on on price all the time and as for me as a supplier to them, where I supply training and consultation services, I try and deliver value. You know, th- th- there's there's always someone that can do it cheaper, but there won't be someone that can do it better. Yeah. And 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 that's sort of the the philosophy I have. And but the first question all the time, especially with my 
mandatory training, for example, is how much is it? And a lot of the time, particularly with drivers, for example, if they wanted to buy directly, I know it's tough for them because they're paid only a certain amount, for example, but it's finding that balance of, well, do you want to spend seven hours and spend this amount of money to get absolutely zero value? Or are you happy to pay this slight bit more, but actually get a value for that, which actually over over time will potentially be, give you a return on investment, um, I think is is massively important. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about, actually, your background with travel, you, you, you worked in travel and tourism, and, and the customer is really at the heart of that, because that's, uh, that's something that will get them coming back year on, year out. And one thing that you said to me, or, or you mentioned the other day that really sort of triggered with me, was around keeping time and about that as a service thing. Are you able to just sort of explore that a little bit more? I think you know what I mean by you, as soon as you're on time, you're late. Yeah. So it's really interesting, actually, because as a teenager, and I, I don't know if my friends from a long time ago will, will listen to this, but I would probably encourage them to do it. Um, I was late for everything because it's just like there was no kind of urgency. You know, we say we're down the pub at seven. I kind of rock it, but at half past, it already had two pints by, by then. But actually, then when I started working in the, in the travel industry, there's a philosophy. And it, and it comes down for, actually from the military because I worked in the airline part of the business for, for about seven years on and off. And there's a lot of um, you know, XRF guys saying you know, the guys that fly in the planes used to fly jet fighters and Chinook helicopters and all those, you know, great, great people to work with. And again, it's an environment where you work hard and, and you, you probably play a, a lot harder as well. But within that, there was a lot of discipline. And actually on time to start work is late. So if we had a report in time, even if it was at half past four in the morning, you'd be there ready to start work at 25 past four in the morning. Yeah, or nine o'clock in the night or whatever it might be, because it's that philosophy, because you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but the time is money. And you know, when you're running you know, scheduled services, whether it's a truck business or an airline or whatever it might be, on time is late because your customers expect that kind of fundamental philosophy of if I'm paying you to be there, I need you to be there. And, and that's just one of those really important things. So, and it's not about time management, but it's about personal effectiveness and, and business effectiveness. Uh, essentially because you can't be late especially in the travel industry and i think what you're saying about the haulage and, and truck industries as well margin is really really small if, so if you mess up once you've probably lost the margin from from that sale of, of that piece of work so you have to be thinking about getting it right all of the time and that's a big ask really is and it's hard to do but where your profit margins and the business i was working in uh, so I worked for, for thomas cook for, for a long time margin was was never any more than five percent now, I'm not telling stories out of school. Well, the business doesn't exist anymore. However, you know, that, that was fairly common knowledge. You know, so, you know, if, if an airline was late taking off and a customer complained and there was compensation, then you'd probably lose that 5%. You know, just because just the aircraft was taking off or you know, if your hotel wasn't ready on time or, you know, the quality of the food wasn't right. Or, of course, once, once one thing goes wrong, then customers, are, it opens up their radar and they're constantly then looking for things that are not right rather than things that are working well. So as soon as you start getting complaints and your reputation starts to go down the pan, your, your margin just just disappears. And it's hard to get a good reputation, but harder to maintain it. Yeah, 100%. And it's just interesting because a, a lot of the people listening who may be in, in, in the transport sector or in other sectors where the margins are low, that time element is so such an important factor as well, which was why I wanted to refer back to it because timing is everything and, and the delivery of quality and perceived quality is very, very important too. I think it's very difficult when you work in a sector where the consumer is everything and what you, when you've positioned yourself, for example, Thomas Cook, which is a great example, uh, not so great for those that have worked for them recently and obviously have had had quite a challenging year so far, I would say a very, very challenging year uh, or a couple of years. Now, they were, in a, they were in a business where while service was important, they were, they were kind of the mainstream supplier alongside Thompson, which is now TUI, for example, um, as a direct competitor that would provide have provided people for years cost-effective holiday solutions. And actually, they're probably riskier because they're a bigger size, they're more leverage, lower margin, they're more at risk than, for example, I don't know, the people who niche down like sandals comes to mind, for example. I don't know a lot about the travel and tourism industry, but I imagine they're a slightly higher price point, a better experience for the client. But in turn, because they're differentiating and uh, they're then able to charge a better margin and therefore making a better margin, which overall means that they've probably got a more robust business model. Is, is that your experience with that sector? The travel sector, like like many, many sectors, you, know, you, you get all the different price points. So 
when I was in TC, because I used to do a lot of the induction training for UK staff and overseas staff as well, you know, we had this vertically integrated model um, as, it, as it was known then. So literally all the way from your, fir- your first customer touch point, if you like, from website or contact center um, or the shops on the high street to the online services, to the airline, to in resort, to having your own hotels, you know, that, that was that the whole kind of thing was all part of the organization. Not all businesses, you know, so you, get, you give another example about choose to do that. But also as well, you know, when you work for a large corporate, then you can segment your customers. I think that's the correct marketing term. So you can have the kind of the cheap and cheerful holidays, if you like, or you can have the top end all under that one umbrella brand. Or you could choose to be a business that I'm going to niche down and be very, very good at what I do with a very... Uh, so you use sandals as an example. So, you know, there are family holidays, but there are adults only holidays where they don't admit children on, on their holidays. And, you know, that that is quite a niche market. And I think it's all in the Caribbean as well. So, uh, so you know, as a business, going back to kind of the first point about going back to your why, what, why do you want to do what you do? And then how, what are you going to do? And then how are you going to do it? Are really, really important first things because then that determines everything else um, that, that you do afterwards. I, th- I think there's a danger that you can be all things to all people and then that really dilutes your, your product as well. So it is definitely, if you don't know how to do that, it's worth speaking to somebody that, that who is a marketeer or, or who can help you with that. If your business is sizable enough, then and you can start to lose your way. No, perfect, perfect. And and that, that comes on quite nicely, actually, when we start talking about marketers and we talk about communicate and communication. So um, there's obviously different elements to that. Are you able to just explore that? That's your fourth point. So um, yeah. if you're able to, to just explore that a little bit more, please, stuff. Mm, yeah. So wherever I go, communication, people will say communication is the biggest problem. It's like, well, what part of communication was like? I mean, they list like 10 different things uh, as an example, but it's the same everywhere. The context is different and the problem might be slightly different, but but essentially communication is a major problem. So I think on a one-to-one level as, as, a, as a business leader or a business owner, communication is the one thing that you that businesses and individuals fall over with. You know, we love to talk with two or three. Uh, as an example, we're communicating all the time, whether it's on social media or um, on email or WhatsApp groups or whatever, we communicate and communicate. And commu- you know, there's just like, are we doing too much of it? Are we not doing enough of it? You know, are we, is what we're doing right? And it, it, it's something that that we really, really should give a lot more focus and attention um, and energy on as well. Interestingly, and you know, lots of people will will agree with this, uh, is that we are never taught to listen ever. You just, I, I, you know, teachers would say, "Are you listening?" We're like, "Yeah, maybe." <laughs> As an example, you know, but there's so much going on in our brains, consciously, unconsciously. A lot of the time, we we don't, we're not listening, but it's it's the fundamental skill. So whether you're a business owner or you're a, or a leader, you know, how much of your time are you actually listening to what's going on? How are you listening to your people? How are you listening to your peers, to your suppliers, to your customers? Are you asking the right questions? Because communication is not just about transmitting. It's more importantly, it's about receiving doing something with that information and, and then having a, a suitable response off the back of that. There was a survey last year and it suggests that the two-thirds of pe- two-thirds of a thousand people surveyed uh, would consider consider leaving their employer just based on the, uh, the culture of communication in that business. Two-thirds of a thousand people because the communication was so bad in that organization. That's that's quite a shocking stat, isn't it? But probably not surprising. Yeah, so bad, but not not surprising at all. It's so it's such an important part when there's multiple stakeholders as well which there always are in a business uh, you know you've got your internal communications you've got your external communications multiple stakeholders and it's so easy because people don't people don't listen they, they don't listen at all i've got a funny uh, a funny memory when i was a young lad and uh, I, I first so i grew my initial work was in hospitality uh, in the pub sector and i had an old kiwi landlord who uh, he, he said to me oh, do you know what boy he goes i can listen he goes, I can listen to every conversation that's happening in this pub. And I'm like, all right, okay. And he was like, superhero. <laughs> yeah, I was like, all right, okay. He, he, <laughs> it was a little bit odd sometimes. But uh, yeah, the key message from him, though, was two ears, two eyes, and one mouth. And you do twice as much looking and listening than you do talking, for sure. And uh, and, and I think that's uh, that's so vital now, especially with all the different channels of communication as well. And I think, you know, because, you know, all the... The virtual uh, communications we've got, they're great. But when things return to whatever the, the future will will hold for us, um, I think that face-to-face communication is so important. You know, if, if you're a leader in a business or you own a business, it's really important that you go out and you kind of re-engage with your people. You know, 
talk to them, listen to what's going on, get to know them as people, get to know your customers and your suppliers, you know, show empathy and, and all those things, but also tell your story about, you know, for for people listening to this over the coming weeks and months is thinking about actually, so what is your story going to be? You know, tell, and people might think, oh, I don't know how to tell a story, but we've, we're all full of stories from our life experiences. And you know, if we are the, the most senior person or the one, one of the most senior people, there is a story to tell from the last three or four months and a story to predict for the next, you know, so we, we need to kind of share that and kind of come away from the, the formal communication with a, almost like a press release of what's going on in our business right now. Tashi's saying, so what's been going on? This has been what's going on for us and tell the story about what's, what's going on in the future as well. You know, share the new vision. If your strategy, strategy needs to change, tell people about it. Don't push it out in an email. You still need to engage people around that as well. And maybe your standards need to change now or, or something, some interaction with your customers, your suppliers, that needs to change as well. So it's really important that you're, you're really clear on that, but then you're clear in your communication to, to other people as well. That's, that's really resonated with me because one of the things I've been, it's, it's caused me, you know, like sleepless nights. I've, I've not really known what to do. Part of our offering is around first aid training. Mm-hmm. And with the current situation, I'm, I'm faced with a real challenge because from a practical point of view, my costs have massively oh, more than doubled because we have to provide PPE for each individual. They're going to initially get essentially their own first aid kit as part of the process. So I need to provide them their own bandage. We'd previously have used a first aid kit and we'd use it again and again, which seems absolutely mad in the current world that we live in. But if you rewind two, three months ago, totally acceptable right. yeah. you know t- totally acceptable and you know we do whilst we'd protect the mannequin we'd do rescue refs and CPR and what have you but and then we'd wipe it down after use which would be normal but it's, it's this thing around bandages and everyone having their own and whatever touches them it's the, their own as well and then and then on top of that per capita cost We've also got a reduced capacity as well. So, you know, we're in a room where I'd previously be able to have 12 people, which was the capacity for first aid. We're now down to maybe four in that same space or five. Now, that's a, that's a third of the capacity that was previously. And I'm, I'm looking at my cost base. I'm looking at what we charge. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, I'm going to have to double my prices. Mm-hmm. Now, if I just go out and double my prices to my client base, they're going to go, well, really? peace, monop- <laughs> peace, peace monopolizing on, yeah. on COVID-19 or flagship, you know, flagship are really expensive, what have you. And when we originally set out in business, we, we were quite careful about where we priced ourselves. We weren't as expensive as the big national providers, but we also, you know, we carefully structured it and made sure that it was just at the right level. Now, that, that, that presents a real challenge. And what concerns me is that, my competitors possibly haven't had the foresight that they're going to face these challenges and they're essentially going to bury themselves. But in the process, are they going to continue to keep the prices as they are and bury themselves quite quickly over time? But, you know, have I got the six months to wait whilst they do that? You know, and, and I think that's that, that's really a challenge because in reality, the, the going rate for that type of training is going to have to go up. It's going to have to increase. Mm-hmm. And I've got to find a way of communicating that properly. And like you say, finding the right channel to do it so that, that people will recognize it and like explaining why. And actually, I might need to do it. In, you know, I, I think the, the key is, is that I need to do it in multiple ways and multiple channels. I need to probably do it in written format as a PDF. So when people, look, you know, when they sign up to what we're doing, I can send them an email to say that, that your cost of training is going up and this is why. Um, and I think I think we're in a climate now where people understand. I suppose people are more accepting, aren't they, that we need to take different measures to, yeah. to make people safe. And, and, and that's ultimately, as part of our why, is about keeping people safe and, and making sure that they have the relative training. At the same time, we don't want to be putting people at unnecessary risk in our classroom. Absolutely. And if you're clear in your communication and you're authentic in that, then that takes away the initial reaction was, oh, you're screwing us over, like I said, you're monopolizing and capitalizing on, on, on the current situation. But I think most people will understand that. It might be hard for them to accept that because yeah. their costs are going up and their income and their profits are probably going down. Uh, but you know, but that, that is the reality of, of where we are um, at the moment. As long as we communicate that, then ultimately then it's the customer's choice. But, you know, but you, you've got to make your business survive. Uh, yeah. That's what you need to do. So that you're, you're there to provide... Uh, to, to your customers in the future as well. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating, isn't it, really? Uh, okay, so, and moves us on to our fifth point around learning to develop yourself and others, mm-hmm. which uh, which is obviously very, very uh, topical, particularly with what we both do. So <laughs> tell me a yes. bit more about that. 
Well, you kind of expect both of us to be quite passionate about this one. So we, we, won't, we won't labor this one too much because this might be the, the favorite subject, um, if you like. You know, but we all spend a lot of time in informal education, you know, through school uh, or college or university or whatever we've done. And, you know, for those of us who've done professional qualifications um, after that, you know, there's been a lot of formal learning. And when you work in, in an organization, hopefully, you know, that there's a good amount of investment in you as an individual. But sometimes if we are self-employed or we work in smaller businesses or, or organizations where there isn't as much thought into that or the, the investment or the, the capital isn't there to do that, then, then we stop learning. Uh, in, in a more formal way, also, there's lots of different ways to learn. You can learn formally by going on courses or, or whatever it might be. We can learn by having coaches and, and mentors, which we'll talk about in just a second. Obviously, lots of informal learning, because what's always interesting when you, talk, when you ask people, you know, what, what have you learned over the last six months? They go, what do you mean? I haven't been on a course. It's like, yeah, but you don't have to be on a course to learn stuff. You know, what is it you know now that you didn't know six months ago? And I actually go, well, actually, I didn't know how to do this, or I didn't know how to do this, or what have you learned in the last year or five years? Hopefully, we're all growing and learning informally just making sure that we that we do something about that and then go back to that Marshall Goldsmith book that we, that we spoke about earlier about what got you here won't get you there that talks about uh, our behaviors really and those kind of really unconscious annoying habits um, that we have that you know pee people off sometimes but we we don't know what we're doing it um, and a lot of us you know we tend to be really really busy people and there's a lot to think about we're thinking about keeping the customers happy you know making sure that the staff are in on time you know doing what we've asked them to do you know, we've got budgets and things to think about. There's a lot of stuff going on. And often one of the things that falls to the bottom of the list, even if it makes the list, is actually our own professional development. It's a conversation I have with, with managers often is, uh, if we are learning, hopefully we're improving, especially if we are implementing what we learned, because that's that's a really important bit. Learning, it's okay. Doing something with it is harder, but that's the necessary bit. Now, if we stop doing that, we're not plateauing. We're actually decreasing our skills and our knowledge because there's other people out there learning. Um, and it's not just about professional qualifications it's learning about what customers want as an example or you know learning the best way to attract new talented people into your organization what's going on out there in a much more broader holistic sense um, so if we stop learning we're not plateauing we're actually decreasing our capability to lead and, and manage our businesses because there's other people out there very very smart people who are constantly learning you know they've got coaches and maybe more than one coach. They've got different mentors for different parts of, to help them with different parts of their business. Um, you know, they've got people who are critical friends or will say, why the hell are you doing that? You know, somebody who will be really honest with you that you can trust and, and they trust you. You know, people who will support you and challenge you as well. So it's not just about formal learning, just constantly learning to keep on top of your game. And that's something that we all have to do because, you know, we will fail and businesses will fail if you don't keep keep on top of things, um, essentially. And, and like I said, that can be formal learning but informal learning and actually just understanding what your marketplace is like, what your competitors are doing. That's all learning as well. So, so you know, that, that's really, really important. Yeah. Well, the one thing I just wanted to explore with you, though, to see what you think, but certainly a line of thinking for a lot of people increasingly as we're in a knowledge-based society now where, you know, back in the day, people had just paid loads of money for encyclopedias and everything's just available at the touch of a button. And actually yeah, the, challenge we've got, yeah. <laughs> the challenge the challenge we've got now is knowing what, what, what the right source of information is, for example. Now, one of the questions I've got for you is actually, is formal learning a thing of the past and is actually on-demand learning or specific learning around a particular function or role more valuable now than what we've known previously with degrees and university education well that's a big subject we could talk about that for an hour uh, just on, and, oh, and, oh, by yeah. the way you've got two minutes to answer that question yeah. go <laughs> now no, okay um, okay so the, so the answer is it depends um i i guess is is the really unhelpful answer to that i think for for a number of years lnd practitioners so people who lead learning and development functions and, and, and businesses will know that just in time learning as, as a phrase is much more effective because somebody says i don't know how to do this and that could be something like a skill and a production line as an example so the just-in-time learning is somebody who may be the supervisor will go right let me show you how to do this as an example so it's there there was a need you've expressed the need i've helped you with that need now you can do it great just-in-time learning hyper efficient really really low cost low cost or no cost sometimes versus the actual the, the kind of more formal education about going to business schools and, and things like that so so i've worked at business schools um in in the past and, and um you know formal business schools and, and sector specific ones as well um, and they can they can offer a really great experience as well but sometimes that isn't just in time and sometimes that can fall down then because the uh the transition of the learning is isn't always 
uh, applicable because what you're learning, you're not implementing st- straight away. However, you know that said, you know there are, there are will there may still always be a place for MBAs and things like that, you know, for people in, in senior roles. But there is a whole discussion about formal learning, and this is even called school, college, and universities, where there is so much information available online. You know, th- there is a very left field conversation about actually, do we need universities in the future? Because actually, all the information is available. A lot of the information is available to us. Yeah, so, you know, so do we need to spend three years in uni as an example when realistically we could do uh, specific chunks of information um, online in our bedrooms on our laptop um, and, and get a certificate off the back of that? So the world is changing really, really quickly. But what's really important from a learning perspective is the need to, needs to be really, really clear on how that person is going to implement that learning. It's going to be really clear as well so that the individual or the business gets almost an immediate return on investment because that's very motivating for them. Um, and then there's the, there's the value add for the organization. hundred percent work smart and not harder, right? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Uh, there, there's a, uh, there's a quote from a guy called Warren Buffett, whose net worth is apparently $88 billion. Um, and he quotes to send the best investment you can make in yourself. The more you learn, the more you earn. And that's almost a bit of a cliche because that's been knocking around for, for a number of years, but, um, uh, but I think that's fundamentally true. And another, some more stats for you as well, which I found just before uh, we did this, actually. That in the UK last year, a survey looked and uh, identified that one in three businesses offer no development for people. You know, so oh, that's all the way from, from you know, the most junior to the most senior person. And they've identified that the, the cost is likely to be £340 billion in the UK annually. Uh, and this is because there's no development. So people then become disengaged. Uh, and therefore, people then take sick. There's lack of pro- uh, productivity. There's lack of innovation, and all of those kind of things as well. So, you know, as a UK economy, can we afford not to um, develop our people? Is the almost rhetorical question, if you like. A hundred percent, absolutely. Okay, so on to our final point, which is around being flexible. What do you mean by be flexible then? Does it mean yoga moves or sorry, yes. anyone who's listening can't see me <laughs> stretching? But um, I'm sure that's not yoga, you know. I'll, I'll be honest with you, no one wants to see me you do yoga. It'll end up with a big rip down the back of the trousers. Excellent. I'll buy you a yoga mat for Christmas and then see how we get on. Definitely not. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I think what's what's really interesting and one of the positives to come out of the the last ten weeks or so, I think we've done quite good, uh, well, quite well. I don't think we mentioned the the C word um, in the last uh, hour or so, but I, I think what it's learned, is, what it's taught us, uh, is that we can be more flexible. I think businesses and organisations. I've found that because the need has been there and the pressure uh, has been there to be flexible, people have made it happen. It's really interesting. I was on a, on a webinar a couple of weeks ago um, and there was somebody from the public sector then and they said, and somebody from the private sector actually, and they were both saying, ordinarily, if we decided to do start doing home working, we'd probably have to do like a whole year's worth of consultation and meetings. Yeah. And they might still not do it as a, as a result of that because of whatever reason, you know, cost or confidence or, or whatever it might be. But then within two weeks, everybody who could work from home was working from home, you know, for those who weren't furloughed. So, you know, so it has taught us that we can do a lot of things that traditionally we thought we couldn't do or we shouldn't do it or wasn't possible or it wouldn't be right for our people or our customers. But in a, you know, in a lot of circumstances, the flexibility that's been forced upon us actually has just shown us there is a different way, not necessarily a better way for everybody, and maybe not for the economy, but that flexibility is uh, is quite key. And I think it's not just around process flexibility, it's a mindset, because you know, we can get in a rut, we can, we can think about what we've always done, uh, that's what we need to do because that works. Or sometimes I hear in businesses, I'm sure you and the people listening have heard phrases like, well, we tried that before and it didn't work. So, well, it didn't work then, but it might work now. You know, the world moves on so quickly. Things change so quickly. It's always worth reinvestigating things. So how can we, go back to your point, work smarter and not harder? Yeah. How can we reduce the cost base? Now, for, for a lot of businesses, you know, they've not had to, well, there's no heating maybe at the moment, but, you know, we, we've not had to pay for food, you know, for subsidized canteens and things like that, who haven't necessarily had to uh, pay for lighting and all those kind of ancillary costs that their businesses have. A lot of the overheads have actually just disappeared. Income and profit have probably also you know, kind of disappeared as well. But, you know, think about, you know, if, if we can work flexibly uh, and be flexible in our mindsets and, and where we do our business and where our people work in, in, in the future, you know, that can, it's not always the right thing to do, but it's just think about working a different way and, and reducing a lot of our overheads and engaging our people, you know, and, and there's so many different benefits from just having a, an open mind because uh, that, that's really important in, in leadership. It ties in so well with your last point around leadership and development as well, doesn't it? 
ties yeah, in so yeah. much with that being flexible. So I'll throw in another stat. Okay, because I like it. Yeah, I like it. So a survey from last year stated that up to 62% of employees are willing to leave their employer based on its flexibility. 62%. So, you know, if, if some of those people don't always add a huge amount of value um, into your organization, then lo- losing a few of them, even if you bluntly need, need to reduce your costs this year and next year, that might not be such a bad thing. You know, with talented people now, your best people, and they're willing to leave another organization who may be more flexible in their approach. Now, that's definitely a red flag uh, for, for employees as well. And there's another report as well, actually, that said that a lot of people will be influenced by flexibility and have been previously. This has really brought it to the fore as well. Uh, and I said, all of those 62% of, of people who wanted more flexibility, you could be stereotypical and think, well, this is the millennials. So typically people who were born um, on or around the millennium who they've been stereotyped and given a bit of a hard press um, over the last number of years. They think, well, they don't want to work and they want lots of feedback and they want lots of support. But actually, those are the right things to do. And it's not just the millennials who should be getting that. But interestingly, of the 62% of people that were willing to leave their employer based on their flexibility, 21% were millennials, but 31% were baby boomers. So the people who are coming up to retirement age are already at retirement at the moment. So it's not just about the youngsters, in inverted commas, who kind of don't always want to commit to work in the office and want to sit you know, on their phones, on, on, on WhatsApp while still doing their work or listening to Spotify. There's, there's elements of other generations and it's, it's the older people as well. So it's just thinking about how flexible can we be uh, to meet the needs of our staff and ourselves and, and our peers, but also customers as well. Because it's, it's definitely a mindset thing. So that's a, that's a great rhetorical question for us to uh, to conclude with. Thank you very much. Are, is your business flexible enough? That's a very very valid question for our listeners to have a listen, uh, have a think about. Sorry, not listen to. I don't know what I'm talking about there. <laughs> um, Dove, thank you so much for joining me. It's been hugely insightful. Please, could you tell the listeners a bit more about where they can find you and where, where to find your business uh, if they want to get in touch and, and do any work with you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, as you know, Pete, I'm all over LinkedIn, like, like many of us are. So uh, you can find me on, on LinkedIn. So the first name is Dovrig, D-Y-F-R-I-G. Uh, so have a look at me on LinkedIn. Connect with me uh, there. The business is also on LinkedIn as well. So that's U Development, Y-O-U Development. Um, and the website is udevelopment.co.uk. Perfect. And I think, I think your business pretty much does what it says on the tin. It's, it? all, it's all about you. It's literally. all about you. Yeah, it's like, it's like Runcia. Like, I actually Absolutely. love it. It's such a clever yeah. name. Yeah, because it is customer-centric. It is all about the customer. Absolutely um, perfect. And, 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 and it flows through your, your half dozen things as well. So uh, thank you so much for joining me, Dove. Yeah, listeners, thank you for listening in and we'll catch you again next week. See you all soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate your time. Please do follow me at Pete Rushmer on LinkedIn or on Facebook, follow Flagship Training UK and you can find us on YouTube too at Flagship UK. Flagship UK.